welcome back to At The Table. Thank you so much for joining us again for another episode. We are going to be looking at the crucifixion and death of Jesus. We've been exploring build up to Jesus's death and resurrection. And um, it's been really great and really exciting to share this with you all. We thank you so much for joining us. And we just want to ask again that if you really enjoy this episode, please don't forget to comment on it. Give it a rating. Five stars only, please. And make sure that you chat with one of us on our sh- on our socials, Instagram, Facebook, and just share that you like this. It's really good for us to know what you're feeling and continue the discussion. So without further ado, let's get started. My name's Beth, and here with me I have Joe. Hey. Lucy. Hello. And John. Hello. Hi, everyone. You're all okay? <laughs> Hi, wife. <laughs> Hi, wife. <laughs> I'm okay. How are you doing? Yes, I'm good, thank you. <laughs> we sound so formal. We do, we do formal. Hello. <laughs> uh, this is not the first time we've spoken. We've actually had a conversation before this. That's why we're actually being awkward, because we've already asked each other how we are. So it's like, yeah. Good evening. I am well. How are you? Spiffing. Spiffing. I saw something Absolutely. really funny. Someone put, because you know, you, you sometimes start an email with, hope you are well. Yeah. Someone always replied, yes, I'm the wellest I've ever been, thank you. <laughs> like, so who replies saying, yes, I'm the wellest I've ever been? We've, we, we've said this before, haven't we, about like, how you sign off emails and how you, like, word the email. You don't actually go up to anyone and go, hi, hi, Lucy, hope you're well. <laughs> On an email, it seems to be the way you do it. I always end mine with blessings. Oh, I do like love and Yours in Christ. Oh. It's very formal. So today's episode, as I said, we're going to be reading through the crucifixion and death of Jesus. And if you want to join um, with us um, through the reading, Joe is going to be reading and we are reading Luke 23, starting at verse 26 through to 49. So, Joe. This is the um, Good Friday stuff, right? Yes, it is Good Friday. Yeah. Okay, this part's called Skull Hill. As they led him off. They made Simon, a man from Cyrene, who happened to be coming in from the countryside, carry the cross behind Jesus. A huge crowd of people followed, along with women weeping and carrying on. At one point, Jesus turned to the women and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't cry for me. Cry for yourselves and for your children. The time is coming when they'll say, Lucky the women who never conceived. Lucky the wombs that never gave birth. Lucky the breasts that never gave milk. Then they'll start calling to the mountains, fall down on us, calling to the hills, cover us up. If people do these things to a live green tree, can you imagine what they'll do with dead wood? Two others, both criminals, were taken along with him for execution. When they got to the place called Skull Hill, they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Dividing up his clothes, they threw dice for them. The people stood there staring at Jesus, and the ringleaders made faces, taunting. He saved others. Let's see him save himself. The Messiah of God, ha. The Chosen, ha. The soldiers also came up and poked fun at him, making a game of it. They toasted him with sour wine. So you're king of the Jews. Save yourself. Printed over him was a sign. This is the king of the Jews. 
One of the criminals hanging alongside cursed him. Some Messiah you are. Save yourself. Save us. But the other one made him shut up. Have you no fear of God? You're getting the same as him. We deserve this, but not him. He did nothing to deserve this. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. He said, don't worry, I will. Today you will join me in paradise. By now it was noon. The whole earth became dark, the darkness lasting three hours, a total blackout. The temple curtains split right down the middle. Jesus called loudly, Father, I place my life in your hands. Then he breathed his last. When the captain there saw what happened, he honoured God. This man was innocent, a good man and innocent. All who had come around as spectators to watch the show, when they saw what actually happened, were overcome with grief and headed home. Those who knew Jesus well, along with the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a respectful distance and kept vigil. Socially distant, distant. What? Respectful distance. Well, thanks for that, Joe. I think that whole, it's almost like a rant that Jesus has at these women. Yeah. I, yeah, I've never heard that bit before. That was very confusing. And I don't quite get what he's kind of meaning by that. It's not about which bit. Where he's like, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children, for behold, the days are coming when they will say, and then it says about... What verse is that? Uh, I don't know, 20, 28. But yeah, it is a bit of a rant, isn't it? It's almost like he's saying to them, don't worry about me, I'll worry about yourselves. You've got more to worry about, maybe. I've got a question which might sound like a stupid question. Okay. But when Jesus died, did he know that he was going to come back to life? Well, I guess it's not explicitly said what it is. Jesus talks about how the bread of life, how... I don't think he knew in what sense, how or in what way. But I think he had faith in the power of God um, and whatever that would be or mean. I know this is talking He does say he's going to come back to life. We'd be raised in three days. Yeah. The reason I ask is because, well, obviously on one level, he's God and he knows everything. Yeah. But on the other hand, the way he has a go at these women, I'm saying having a go because it just seems that way to me. I'm sure it wasn't. But it's almost like, an end of days kind of thing, mm. as if as if this is going to be some kind of final act. Yeah, I think a lot of it is it's a bit like and this is again me very this is me being very um, speculative, but if that's even a word. Um, we'll go with it. It's almost like he's saying to them, "Have you not learned anything? You know, like don't weep over me because I'm you know where I'm my going. destruction is not something to be cried for. Your destruction is, you know." The sins of the people are what we should be weeping for, not for my death, because I'm going to overcome death. There's going to be no new life. What your heart should bleed for is people's sin, because without that's what's the most painful. Does that make oh, so sense? It's, so it's like the other way around almost. It's like, yeah, don't worry about me because I'll be okay. Mm. Hang on. Are we still talking about the crying women? Yeah. Uh, my translation sounds quite different then. Well, puts a different spin on it. The uh, Passion says, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. You should be weeping for yourselves and your children. 
For the day is coming when it will not be the women with children who are blessed, but the childless. Then you will say, the barren women are the most fortunate. Those who have never given birth and never nursed a child, they are more fortunate than we are, for they will never see their children put to death. So that's like, this is that Jesus saying, this is the worst thing that could happen, and you're so lucky if you don't have a child that you'd never have to see your child go through this horrible thing. Mm. So it isn't Jesus saying, don't worry about me, it's him saying, you should be sorrowful yeah. about this, Big and mother. you should count yourself lucky that I'm not your child. Okay. I think that's what yeah. my translation looks like. Yeah. But it could, also, it could also be like telling on a bigger sense that it's like foretelling of the bigger picture that like that's what God is doing. So like, you know, God cries for all of his children who go through pain and suffering. Yeah. So if you don't have children, you wouldn't understand or have to go through that pain. Yeah. Almost like a multi-layered sentence, isn't it? Because you can get so much from that particular bit. Like you say, you can look at it as the sense of Jesus being very, you know, we said it last time, but like very human in that moment and kind of being very kind of, well, I guess depressed, almost like he's, his life's being thrown away. So he's like, you know, think of my mother, like she's got to watch me go through this, but no, you know, no I haven't done anything. Or you can look at it, from another almost like a deeper level and say well he knew that he was coming back without them knowing he was coming back it's quite yeah it's quite deep and multi-layered i think yeah my i've just read more of the bible commentary and it says here the death of christ was a thing peculiar it was his victory and triumph over his enemies it was our deliverance and the purchase of eternal life for us. And therefore, we must weep, not for him, but for our own sins and the sins of our children. That were the cause of his death. And weep for fear, such as were the tears here prescribed, of the misery that we will bring upon ourselves. If we slight his love and reject his grace, as the Jewish nation, nation did, which brought him upon them to ruin here foretold. So it's kind of like if we are crying for his death, what we're actually crying for is... Our own sins. Yeah. Mm. So which is like a mixture of what I said before and what you said, Lucy. Yeah. Like there's pain in all of it. Like we shouldn't be... Yeah. Wow. Gosh. Deep. Also, don't you hate the phrase carrying on? I think your translation said it, Joe. Carrying on. The women are crying and carrying on. I feel like that phrase is so belittling to women's emotions. Oh, like, mm. oh, look at that woman yeah. carrying on. Yeah, she's yeah. crying and carrying on. Yeah, because this man's about to be crucified. Like, give her a break. Yeah. I just think that's a really belittling phrase. And yeah, I, like calling, I calling a woman um, hysterical. Yeah, yeah. hate that so much. If you love someone with all your heart and they're going through one of the most brutal ways of dying... <laughs> And getting killed off you're gonna yeah you're gonna shed a tear aren't you what do you uh, make of the the soldiers and the signs saying this is the king of the jews i don't know i've always there's lots of things about that there's this whole like the mockery side of it and how they're taunting him and they, it says that isn't doesn't it that they taunted him when he was up there saying like save yourself mm. you know you performed these great miracles. Come on then, do it, perform, show us, dance, monkey, dance. Mm. Dance, know. monkey, great song. Yeah, <laughs> but I think one of the things that I love in that, there's like the irony in that, that was used as a term of mockery, but now the term Jesus is, Jesus is king or Jesus is my king 
is a term that people hold of affection for Jesus. So while it was used as a as like a form of shame and mockery, it actually turned out to be accurate. <laughs> yeah. I think to put myself in the shoes of the Roman soldiers and the other people who'd put him there, physically speaking, it must have been so annoying and infuriating to have this guy describing himself, or at least they thought he was describing himself as this king of the Jews and this like really important figure. And I think as well, we have to remember that there wasn't mass media then, there wasn't newspapers and um, broadcasting and um, certainly not social media or anything like that. So all of this talk about Jesus would have spread by word of mouth. And I think there's probably a bit of Chinese whispers going on as well. You know, a, an account of Jesus talking to a crowd would get exaggerated and he he would end up sounding incredibly arrogant and self-righteous and like actually one of those people that we probably all find really annoying. Yeah. So I think actually I can totally get why they um, reacted the way they did once he was on the cross, it was like a kind of putting the world to rights kind of thing. They're like, oh, finally, this guy who's um, blaspheming and saying that he's this person that he's clearly not, this person who thinks that he's better than everyone else, is finally in his rightful place. So I can totally understand why they're laughing at him. And Because I think we all get a bit like that when we see someone we know and maybe we don't like so much and it's kind of the tables are turned. Mm. especially when it's someone arrogant um we can't help but feel a bit of pleasure in that rightly or wrongly so yeah i can kind of empathize with the soldiers quite a lot Mm. yeah and and also i think when like you with that as well joe is that the what the sign he was wearing like they wore that to identify their crime so they wore that as like a badge for their crime so that was his crime was being pretending to be the king of jews so yeah there's so many layers to it they are saying like you call yourself this this is and this is what you're dying for you're dying Mm. for calling yourself the king of the jews even though he didn't specifically say those words or in so many sense it's that's his crime his crime is for being jesus for being the king and the savior and it's like going back to what pontius pilate was saying that he couldn't find anything to pin on him yeah like i don't know what to accuse this man of so this was like it's like clutching at straws, isn't it? Yeah. To find something to accuse him of to justify his crucifixion. Yeah. Because really, I mean, it was blasphemous for, in the religious leader's eyes, because he was, blasph- in their eyes, he was, was being blasphemous and was saying things that are, in their eyes, ab- abhorrent. Like, you can't mm. say those things, that you are the son of God, etc. But for Pontius Pilate, a Roman, that, that's like, he's like, meh. You know, that's not a crime. And also, one of the things with crucifixion is that a crucifixion was like the Roman um, Empire's most brutal form of capital punishment. And it was normally only used for um, criminals and of like severe crimes. It wasn't like murderers. I mean, and that's why Barabbas was up for against it. So it wasn't you norm, wouldn't normally been used in this sense. So, but yeah, so it's, it's the, just really extreme. Yeah, it is. It's, but I think that's like the illustration that it has to be, doesn't it? That it has to be this most extreme form of punishment 
for it to kind of have its imagery. I don't know. Going back to what your question was, Joe, about what you know, what do you think of what the soldiers were saying and stuff, and it, it kind of links in with what kind of links into like what we've already been saying about it. But I just think there's almost like a parallel between what they're saying anyway. So like what in my translation, I think is verse 35. Think of that. The people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him saying, he saved others, let him save himself. So it's almost like they believed that he saved others. So it's almost like they know who, who he is, what he's capable of. So they believe in him. But even in that, that sense of belief, they're still kind of chucking him away because they're almost like they're scared of him or they don't know how to cope with him. So it's almost like that parallel as well, I think, even in the, the saying what they're saying. It's like when I think when someone who doesn't you know, believe, you know, we say you know, atheists when they say, oh, your God, if he can save things, why doesn't he save this? And it's like, well, it's almost like there is a belief that, oh, a God can save something. So it's almost like there is a belief. And that's what I was kind of, getting from that is there's that and then obviously one of the robbers says save yourself and us so there's like that belief that oh i know you can save yourself why don't you save us obviously there's a bigger aim with that that you know jesus does save us he saves everybody every generation and generation from doing that but yeah that's what i kind of got from from that if that makes any sense as well i wonder how often like we pray though and ask god to do something and we don't really believe that he will though as well mm. So I don't know if any if any of you want me to read what my Bible says about some of the notes about crucifixions. Oh, is your Bible better than ours? Actually saying that, isn't it? Your Bible has it too. Mine has it too. Oh, here we go. Uh, it says here, crucifixion seems to have taken various forms throughout the Roman Empire, but biblical and historical sources reveal a pattern. First, the condemned person usually was scored with a... Flagellium? Is that how the word? All that time practicing before, I'm still drinking I just, it. Okay, a flagellum. With a cello. Flagellum. Petroleum jelly. Barcelona. Lucas Fragatelli is a footballer for Italy. <laughs> what was it? Tagliatelli. Fragellum. Fracellum. Fracellum. Lasagna. Botticelli. Andrea Bocelli. Ready? Bocelli. Flagellum. So there was a definite pattern within the Roman Empire. The person condemned was usually um, hit with a flagellum, which was a whip constructed of leather throngs interwoven with bits of metal or bone. Oh. Yeah. I think our silence says quite a lot, doesn't it? Yes. Just so, I mean, I don't, I don't know if I need to continue, but I guess like... You know. Well, it shows that there's a lot more to this whole thing than just they crucified him. Because I think the thing is, when this was written, it was written in a time where you don't need to go into detail because everyone knows what crucifying is. But I think a couple of thousand years later, we've forgotten what exactly that meant yeah. yeah in terms of the details i think it's worth remembering that as horrible as being nailed to a cross and left to die is there was actually even more to it than that yeah 
It's also, crucifixion is also something that we see all the time in church because there's so many like figurines of Jesus on the cross. Yeah. It's like we're desensitized to this like horrific death that he went through. Mm. So like for us as Westerners, we know what death penalties our countries have used in the past. So we've had like the guillotine and hanging and electric chair and that sort of thing. So we know about all these, but then there are other ones around the world that we don't know about and all sort of, it's horrible, but I learned about it from a human rights perspective in my degree. But there's all sorts of like torture techniques that are just seem so barbaric to us. And when you learn about it, you think, oh my gosh, how could anybody do that to anybody? And like, it makes me feel sick when I read about them. But then this crucifixion is one of those. Um, you should feel physically sick thinking about it because you see it so often. It's almost like not that big a deal anymore. Yeah, Jesus was on a cross. We know that you like, even in like primary school assemblies, they know about it. And it's like, yeah. it doesn't feel like a big deal anymore. But we need to remember like just how horrific this thing was. Because mm. I, something I never realised was to the extent of what the crucifixion is like you say you grow up as a kid in sunday school and in school like learning bits about this but like even the fact that they suffocate when they're on there not only are they they're dying with um dehydration and blood loss blood loss and all that it's the they suffocate because of the weight of their body on because they're trying to hold themselves up it sounds horrific but i'm not gonna not be horrific with this the thing is you can't sugarcoat it but they're trying to hold themselves up from their wrists and their shoulders so everything is just weighing down on their lungs they're suffocating on blood they're suffocating on stuff it's horrible yeah i was gonna i was gonna read that further hmm. and it's, it's so just, slow as well isn't it it's yeah. so slow. i mean that's the other thing as well it's not a, a 20 minute thing it's it's hours it's a day. Day. it can be yeah. days yeah. In the heat and the, oh. And I mean, obviously, the whipping, because of the metal and the bone in that, that would That's have like disgusting. ripped the skin to shreds. So, the, in the amount, I mean, you think like nowadays, I mean, I got a paper cut the other day and it, it stung so much, like my eyes were watering and it bled a lot, didn't it? it did. Like the tissue was covered and that was just a tiny, a small little cut on my finger that's barely nothing and it stung. And if you imagine like that, just your whole back and shoulders and arms and probably like your even your bum area would have been just the skin just completely ripped. And then you were then forced, as it says here, to carry the crossbeam through a crowd to your place of execution. So not only were you whipped and you would have been weak from that, you were then forced to carry a wooden beam that's going to carry you. So that's probably, I don't know how much, how heavy it is but it's probably double your weight I mean, you... if that carry that up to your place of execution so that itself is just like that is a, a form a huge form of torture in itself like for us as you said lucy we can't even imagine that that's like a million miles away from death row prisoners having a final meal isn't it mm. yeah like just so and <laughs> um, no but i think i mean you're it's... right isn't it i'd like don't support the death penalty in any way. I think it's barbaric and it's it should never happen. Mm. But I think the way that it is done nowadays, where it is done, in in most places, there's at least a recognition that it should be done as humanely as possible. 
it's felt that death itself is the punishment. There's there's no need to make it violent and horrific in itself, but that obviously wasn't the case in Roman times. Yeah, it says here, to add to the to how degrading it was and suffering for Jesus, the executioners were often stripped naked before being nailed and, and binded with ropes to the crossbeam. So there was just, it was... Yeah, I think it's the executioner. The executioner stripped the victim, sorry, naked before nailing and binding them with ropes. Because that would make... Let me say that again. <laughs> Kinky. <laughs> the executioner gets naked. Uh, wait, what are you doing? <laughs> so, to add to how degrading and suffering it would have been, the executioners would strip the victim, making them naked before they nailed them and then um, bound them with ropes to the crossbeam. So, there was like that form of humili humiliation was just the scene of the. Um, crucifixion it wasn't just going to be painful it was going to be humiliating and degrading mm. um and then it says here after the condemned had been nailed and tied to the crossbeam executioners lifted the crossbeam and secured it to the post with the person's feet hanging above the ground archaeological evidence indicates that sometimes a pin or wooden block was placed halfway up the post to provide a seat for the body allowing the prisoner to rest periodically further prolonging their agony however and preventing the nails from tearing open the wounds and allowing the body to fall oh. the feet were also nailed and tied to the post finally as in the case of the two criminals who were crucified alongside jesus the executioners would sometimes break the legs of the crucified this last brutal tactic sped up death for those lingering on the cross causing massive shock loss of circulation and heart failure. Gosh. I feel like all the depictions we see of it are just a lie. Yeah. <laughs> like all the nice bronze statues of him, like crucified so elegantly and he's looking kind of forlorn, but his body is still like completely intact and he's like completely upright and muscular. Mm. When actually his hands would probably be ripped open, his arms would have been broken. Like you said, his lungs would have collapsed. Yeah. Well, we, blood everywhere. Yeah, we romanticise yeah. it. I mean, even the Absolutely. even the shape of the cross itself is shown as just these two pieces of wood, but they're sort of beautifully proportioned and perfectly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like great for the gram, but really unrealistic. Yeah, yeah. like it probably had blood on it from the last person who was crucified up there. Exactly, and I think that the fact that they put a little stool on there almost is a bit of a torment as well. So like almost that humiliation thing continues. Because yeah. they must have, like as we hear, the soldiers would have continued taunting at them. And them having the stool, there must have been parts where they just wanted to kind of take a seat and take the weight off of everything that's holding them on. Mm -hmm. And you can almost hear the Romans laughing, going, oh, go on and take a seat again. So it's almost that humiliation again. I think maybe the... Um, part at the start of the reading where it says about Simon of Cyrene carrying mm. the cross. I used to think that was like, it's almost a nice act, isn't it? Oh, don't worry, someone else can take the burden for a bit. But actually, I think it was a way to put the pressure on Jesus even more. Because mm. it's like, you know, when something is horrible and really hard to do, and it's like someone when someone else is doing that thing on your behalf, 
it almost makes the burden even worse because you then feel bad that someone else is having to do something that you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. yeah. The Gospel of John says that um, Jesus carried his own cross because I've just read it here. So let me check Mark. No, so Mark says a certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing on his way through the country. They forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, and they offered him mixed with myrrh. He did not take it, and then they crucified him, died, dividing up his clothes. Um, so why does, why does John <clears throat> not say? Because John, remember, he's not detailed. John's the... Standard. Must be in the name. <laughs> so Matthew says, and, that, and as they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named um, Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. Are pretty much really similar. John's the only one who doesn't say it, but remember, he's not a detailed person, so. That's been pretty random for Simon as well. Like, he was, he happened to be coming in from the countryside, and then suddenly he's forced to carry a big old cross. Like, just think it's random. It is random, though, because it's like, random. you just pick a random bloke out of the out of the crowd almost and go, right, you're, you know, go and help him. No, it or... sounds, sounds like he wasn't even in the crowd though right just like well, yeah they picked him like right come with us like he's like oh, i'm busy yeah no Go, come on <laughs> get this milk I'm trying to find eggs but i can't find any eggs no come on carry across <laughs> yeah i i just think the whole thing is just heart-wrenching i think it's because i've got a personal relationship with with jesus so seeing someone i i love or you know not even see something i'm reading thousands of years later, it is horrific. And to think, you know, seeing that, I know that was a, a normal thing in kind of the the quote marks um, of that time, but imagine seeing that. Imagine being Mary, his mother, seeing your son go through that, even knowing where he might end up, but it doesn't doesn't kind of sugarcoat it for me. It's It's just horrific. And he did that for us. Yeah. I mean, I think I've said it before. I don't know if I've said it on the podcast or just to you guys, but um, I've always um, struggled to watch forms of crucifixion. If it, I would always get really anxious. I mean, I don't like things like that anyway. And John will know that I hide behind my pillows at most films and anything like that. But it's more suspense I don't like. But I've never been able to watch it. And I always get really anxious on a Good Friday that if when we went to church on the Good Friday evening service, if they would show it, because I would be so afraid of, like, I just can't watch it and I wouldn't know what to do, particularly when I was in the band and I would have had everyone looking at me on the platform. It absolutely petrified me, the thought of us, of it showing it. And then I remember when I was in was it year 10, probably, it would, have been, it would have been GCSE, I think, when we watched, maybe even younger, when we watched it at school, and obviously I couldn't, I mean, at the church, you can get up and leave, but at school, I couldn't. And we started watching it, and I came over all funny. Literally, I physically came over funny, and I like, put my head on the table, and I was like, I think I'm going to be sick. And I asked to leave, and I like got out the door, and then I like slid down the door, because I just felt so faint. And I, I remember saying to somebody a couple of years later that like, I really struggled watching it, because they'd asked if I'd ever seen The Passion of Christ, and I haven't. Someone said to me, maybe it's because you have a personal relationship with Jesus and you know that 
it isn't just a film it isn't just somebody doing this this was a real thing that happened but it was also something that happened for you and so that suffering was for you so it feels so horrific and you know it's not just a lines on a paper or an actor on a screen this was something that actually happened and it means so very deeply a lot to you so this it's very powerful have you guys seen the passion of christ yeah very similar and i think it's just the kind of unnecessary violence of it all on top of the awful act of taking someone's life in that way anyway yeah like to add all the humiliation and pain and suffering on top of that is just so heartbreaking Mm. yeah it's crazy isn't it i don't know about you but i always find the bit about the death that jesus's death really it always just really strikes me so if you look at verse 44 it says it was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until it was three in the afternoon for the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two jesus called out with a loud voice father into your hands i commit my spirit when he said this he breathed his last I mean, can you imagine being there? Like, it's noon and it's dark for three hours. I was going to say this because later on in my translation, it says, um, and all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle. Yeah. It's not even something we can imagine, is it? Mm. You know, it'd be midday and supposed to be sunny and bright and then it goes dark. It would be like a total eclipse almost, wouldn't it? Yeah. And, and also, like, Jesus' last words, like, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And there are lots of other um, things, like, lots of other Gospels have different things that Jesus says. I don't think any... My imagination just wouldn't comprehend what's going on. I mean, you, you do try and place yourself at these kind of events. And, you know, we've said over this whole course of seven episodes, imagine being there, being a fly on the wall kind of thing. But I can't imagine ever being... Being at this point, would I have been one of those ones that's condemning him in, in that moment? Or would I have been one of those ones, you know, because we don't actually hear which disciples are there. Have they abandoned him in those moments as well? You know, we, we read, you know, that he was denied by Peter, betrayed by Judas. But actually, there's no real thing saying, oh, the disciples were there at the front, really. In Matthew's Gospel, uh, so it talks about, it says, from noon until three, the darkness came over, and then Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Interesting point to add on to that. It's the first time that Jesus doesn't call God Father. It's the first time, isn't it, we found out. Um, It's one of the only times he calls him my God instead of Father, which I thought was really interesting. It's almost like he's fully human in that moment. Mm. Sorry, just added that. That's my little bit of theology that I learned. Um, (laughs) And then that's when some of them offered him some vinegar, but the the soldiers stopped him. He cried out again. He gave up his spirit. And at this moment, the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. Rocks cry out. And the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of their tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went to the holy city and appeared to many people. I've never read that bit before. Yeah, that's interesting. That Not only Jesus, that's resurrection, I guess, as well. Like No. You said that when Jesus resurrected. 
well, yeah, it's after the resurrection. But the resurrection happens down here. This is still in the crucifixion because it says then the centurion, then the centurion went over to Jesus. That's a spoiler alert in Matthew saying the resurrection, and then God days left before that. Jonathan <laughs> 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 like Agatha Christie said the butler did it in chapter one. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> it's like, what's the point reading on? <laughs> Hashtag spoilers. So what have we learned and what might we take away from this? I think for me, not trying to be too straight in with like the holy thing, but I just think the fact that Jesus went through all of this, I know there's a spoiler alert coming that he does, you know, Easter Sunday, but the fact that he would go through all this agony, through all this pain, through all this humili you know, humiliation for me and for what I've done in my life and will probably do in my future, he's forgiven that. And he died for that. That's, yeah, I can't comprehend that. And I just find that incredible that, you know, he loved us so much that he, he came and became human and lived among normal people. You know, he didn't come to sit on a golden throne. He came to work and he came to get his knees dirty, helping people get up and get his hands dirty by mixing with people that other people just disregarded. So, yeah, I just find him just an incredible man, amazing God. That's yeah. my takeaway. I agree. I don't think we should ever forget the brutality of this action mm. and the fact that it was done purely for us. We're simple humans across the world and yeah, we shouldn't become desensitised to it because it is just the most incredible story. Mm. It's really easy to forget that within all these jokes and everything. Yeah. I think as well, it's um, even though it's an extreme form of death, it wasn't unique to Jesus. Lots of people were crucified at this time. Mm. I think there's something in that as well. It, it was extreme but not unique, and it means that even at the end we treated God as no different from any other human. And I think the fact that it all kind of happened to him, and as I said last time, it, he was quite passive in it all. He just let the stuff be happening. God will have a relationship with us if we want him to have a relationship with us. But if we don't, that's our decision. If that makes sense, I'm kind of comparing the two things there. But I think the ball's in our court and it's up to us whether we pursue him or not. I've never thought about it in that way before, that the passiveness of this action can be compared to yeah, the sort of knock and he will open aspect of our faith. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that we've heard this story, in my case, I've heard this story 27 times or more, you know, um, and it, but it never fails to teach me something new. Mm. And people always say to me, like, you know, how do you go to church? I've had someone say to me before, how do you go to church? Because, like, surely you hear the same stories and some preachers will say the same things and that. Uh, it's so hard to explain to somebody, but it doesn't matter how many times you can hear the same story. Every year, I never fail to be struck by it. I never fail to be overwhelmed by it. Mm. And I never fail to be most just speechless at it. And, and I don't want to dwell on it too much, but 
this Easter is going to be very different mm. for us and everyone around the world. And um, I don't know how other people are going to deal with it, but there are things that, that happen like, that are created by the church, um, like a March of Witness or an evening service where they are more, um, it's a more sombre event. But this year we'll just be at home and I'm sure, you know, we will still, you know, create these things. And John and I really want to, you know, have those moments when we can really think about that because I really don't want the day to just go past as any other day. And I think listening and reading back to this again has just affirmed to me how important it is that I re-enter into that space because what he did was just beyond anything that I can ever comprehend. And I almost feel really cowardly. And I'm getting a little bit emotional about this. I don't know why. I always feel really cowardly that I can't watch the crucifixion because that's what Jesus went through for me. Mm. And I can't even watch it on a screen. And I always feel like I really degrade it in a sense because of that I can't watch it. And I will try every year to try and watch it. I don't know if I will. I mean, that's just how I was made. So I can't really ignore that. But it is a really powerful thing. And I wish people could experience that and experience and understand the weight of what it feels like when you know that somebody went through that for you so that you wouldn't have to when you die that be the end so that you could go into an eternal life that you could be in eternity with those already gone have an eternal relationship to be in a place of restoration of peace of healing where there is no suffering, no sin, no pain. And, you know, one of the things that we're charged for as Christians is, you know, to tell people about Jesus and, and faith so that they're saved. And I, and I always have this thing about, I, we, don't, we shouldn't just want to tell people so that they're saved and go to heaven. We should want them because I want people to feel what I feel because you need to understand this weight. You need to feel these things because it, it honestly is, um, it's really powerful. And I am so grateful that I get to sit here and read about it. And um, I just pray that I don't ever lose um, the weight or the magnitude of it. Mm. But I don't ever just, as you said, Lucy, just keep it as this, image of brass statue in a church or just this these lines in a few of a chapter in a bible um or just a a small part of a film or tv show that's made because it's more of that and so much more so Mm. yeah that was a really long way and extended and I got yeah it I will forever and always just take so much from this and Mm. I'm just really grateful and thankful that I get to be here and do this and speak about this as well because I know that there are people that can't so um, I'm feeling very blessed at this time to be able to to be reminded of the weight of that and to hold that as we move into the next few days mm. good time I think you're right Joe. yeah <laughs> <laughs> you'd, you'd go well, with you to wrap up I don't know if you, I don't know if you wanted to say something. That was almost like a look in your eye, Joe. If you were going to say something. Yeah, I thought you. Were no, I was just it. thinking, like, what can we possibly say after that? Nice way to end it. So obviously, this episode is um, the light-hearted finish that we always try and bring to things. But 
there are going to be episodes that are like that because faith is isn't always shiny jumpy clappy happy faith sometimes can be um raw and personal and deep and um thank you that you have stuck around to listen to us to this point and we are really truly thankful for everybody who listens and mm. is, is journeying along with us so this has been the third episode of the holy week story that you've listened to this week so thank you for um continuing to listen obviously we have one more to go so we hope that you enjoy that next episode and i and obviously if you are listening in 2020 easter is going to be fairly different because of the circumstances that are happening in the world and um we just pray that your easter is still powerful and that you still hold that power that jesus has for you and we know reading it today has done that for us Um, and whatever you're doing this easter weekend um, you're able to connect to a form of church We've got our own things that we're going to be sharing over this Easter weekend. And I'm sure if you're listening in the future, hello, that there'll be other things going on in our for us this year over Easter and in other churches. And we just hope and pray that wherever you are, whatever your circumstances are when you're listening to that, whether it's 2020 or 2036, um, we hope that you're able to find yourself in a place of community and family this Easter mm-hmm. um, to just learn more about how Jesus transformed up their life and can transform your life and we pray that for you and so much more this um, Easter week and just know that you are in our prayers as our listeners and um, we pray that the Holy Spirit will just surround you for you at this time whatever your circumstances may be and just know that um, you are loved Mm. so this is Beth saying goodbye John see ya Joe cheerio and Lucy Hashtag ATT podcast out. Boom. Mic drop. Don't drop the mic because it's attached to an expensive laptop.